Come to my house, all over my house. I'm gonna take control over America. Now let's build a wall. You just heard an animation created by CoolBeans9998 that was posted to the youth-focused programming platform Scratch. CoolBeans is just one of the young people who took to online creative platforms to express their political views after the 2016 U.S. presidential election. While social media spaces such as Twitter have become a potent method for discovering and disseminating news and political perspectives, how have young people taken advantage of online platforms for political expression? In this podcast episode, Mask Lab members chat about recent findings from an ongoing research study that paints an interesting picture of the civic education of youth on and through online creative platforms. Mask Lab is a hub for multimodal and digital scholarship that explores the relationship between media and our changing society. We support, curate, and create media intended to spark dialogue and social change and the development of pedagogy that uses media to foster civic engagement. MassLab is located in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technology Design Program at Teachers College, Columbia University. Well, what's really interesting about this study and my entry point into it is that in this case, I really didn't go looking for the data. I guess I could say I didn't find the data, but the data found me. That was Ioana Literat, a faculty member at the Media and Social Change Lab. Ioana is also an assistant professor in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technologies Design Program here at Teachers College. I'm Caroline DeVoe, and I'm here with fellow Mask Lab members Elizabeth Herbert Wasson and Kyle Oliver to talk with Ioana about her research. My area of research is online creativity, so I was observing, some would say lurking, on different youth-focused online platforms with my own research questions in mind, when I noticed that around the time of the U.S. presidential elections, the general discussions, which used to be mostly about technical features or social interactions or just hanging out, turned to very serious and often sad or scared conversations about the election. Young people on these platforms were using the forums or comment boards to post their fears, hopes, questions. Questions like, what will happen if Trump wins? Uh, will I get deported? What does this mean for my friends? What does this mean for my family? These non-political spaces suddenly turned very political in a really organic way. And I saw this as a very valuable and important opportunity to learn more about the relationship between the way young people participate creatively online and the way that they relate to politics and really the way they understand their role and identity as citizens. So uh, together with my collaborator, Neta kligler vilanchik from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, we selected six online platforms that are youth-focused but centered on creativity and not on political participation per se. And we looked at all the election-related artifacts and as well as comments posted in the two weeks following the elections, so from November 8th to November 22nd. Our questions were, how do youth use online creativity to express themselves politically and to interact with their peers around politics? And if this election really was a potentially formative event for young people, which we believe that it is, how did they experience it? And how does this shape their relationship to traditional politics? Ioana, I'm curious to know if you had any assumptions about what you thought you would find. What surprised you? 
I guess first and foremost, what really surprised me was the sheer amount of material we found. There were thousands of election-related creative artifacts posted by youth, from memes to fan fiction to interactive games to songs to digital art, and thousands of responses too, which included comments, but also remixes and other multimedia responses. And you have to remember, this is all in just two weeks, which is a pretty narrow window. So what are some things that you think that educators, and really anyone who works with young people these days, can learn from these findings? Well, I think as a starting point, it's important to acknowledge that political socialization and civic education occurs in these unexpected online places as well, in addition to more traditional spaces like home or school, um, because this is really where young people feel um, comfortable, where they feel they can be themselves. And we need to pay attention to not only what they express in these online spaces, but also how they express it. Because whether it's a meme or a song or an animation, there could be really meaningful and and important political and civic acts going on through these forms of uh, expression. Did you notice anything about um, people saying different kinds of things in different places according to what the medium made them able to say? (laughs) This is a great question, actually. Yeah. Um, The best example I can give, the most telling example is Scratch. Uh, We heard an excerpt from a Scratch animation at the beginning. And Scratch really is a programming platform for interactive games. And it was really interesting to see how young people use the interactive affordances of computer games to make political points. So for instance, because youth don't have um, agency to vote, so they can't participate in traditional politics through voting, there were a lot of voting games on Scratch uh, with titles like Vote in the Scratch Election, which, ca- which candidate is your favorite, and then there were tallies, and sometimes the votes were displayed, other times they weren't, but it was interesting to see how they exercised this agency through the interactive features of the medium in Scratch. As um, students of education ourselves, you know, we're always thinking about how to um, encourage young people to ask questions, to um, engage in inquiry. So it would seem that um, this would be, you know, these kinds of platforms perhaps would be a good way for um, teachers to, you know, get kids to develop answers to some of these questions and still, you know, and frame it around um, civic engagement and political participation. Definitely, but in the same time, um, so on the one hand, there's a desire for self-expression, but on the other hand, there's also a fear of speaking out. So on many of these platforms, youth, especially the younger demographics that we looked at, are not really sure about what they can actually write or say or ask. So I think for us as educators or even as parents or as people that care, it's really important to provide them with a needed support and advice and feedback about, is it okay to post an anti-Trump game? Is it okay to ask a question or, or state a political perspective that might not be very popular? What are the limits of political discourse in online spaces? Because once they learn these limits in online spaces, these lessons do transfer to offline environments as well. What advice would you have for parents and teachers who aren't really sure how to navigate those questions themselves right now? I think what we can learn from these spaces is also 
what a new uh, revamped model of civic education would look like in both formal and informal spaces. And it's clear that civic education 2.0, if we want to call it that, uh, should revolve around youth's own interests, should revolve around their fears, around their concerns, but also around their hopes and dreams for the future. Because there's this concept of the civic imagination, which basically says that in order to have a better future, you need to be able to imagine a better future. And this has to be a collectively imagined better future. And this is really what youth are doing in these spaces. Um, what we found is that the future they imagine is not always positive and hopeful. It is actually, in many cases, full of fear. Fear about the wall with Mexico, fear about nuclear war, fear about World War Three, fear about deportation, fear about loss of civil rights, and so forth. Uh, but they're actively taking part in imagining a collective future. And I think there's a lot to be learned from that and from the way that they're engaging in these processes of collective imagination. It also seems like you, know, you talked about this sort of shared imagination, and it seems like another thing potentially happening here is that they're negotiating and creating the norms of political discourse in the midst of having political discourse. Right, and imagining scenarios together, really, which is what's going on, yeah. But are, are you saying adults can learn a thing or two from the discourse that young people are having? Yeah, young people and, and people in negotiated online spaces generally, I think. I totally agree. I think the social aspect um, cannot be emphasized enough. And we've seen um, a lot of creative artifacts being made and shared as social support. So some youth will say, I made this poem, or I made this story, or I made this uh, game remix to support so-and-so who's going through a hard time after the election. Did you find many artifacts from young people internationally or from other countries? Yes, actually I would love to share another example from scratch with you. Um, it's these two or more kids from Australia singing about what will happen now that Trump got elected um, and how it's going to affect them, even if they're actually not even in the U.S. It's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. It's Trump. Donald Trump. 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 You can dump on Trump, but you'll get really stinky. He is not even in our country. But it's Donald Trump. 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 Make America great again. For me, the biggest takeaway from this project, and it's an ongoing research project, is that we have a lot to learn from the way that youth are engaging with politics and with each other in these online creative spaces. And I think that as a society, we can still shape the lessons that youth draw from these elections. And of course, it's a time when American and global politics seems to be in turmoil, but it's especially crucial at this time to listen to young people, to listen to what they have to say in their own language, and to listen to what they hope, dream, or imagine collectively. That's all we have for you today, but we want to hear from you. Send us an email at masclabtc, that's M-A-S-C-L-A-B-T-C, at gmail.com, or a tweet at masclab to let us know what you thought about this episode of our podcast. You can find more from our collective of research practitioners at masclab.org, including regular blog posts, news about screenings and other events, and links to our other media and research. 
Our theme music is Kelp Grooves by Little Glass Men, published under a Creative Commons attribution license at freemusicarchive.org. Special thanks to Cool Beans 9998 and Swift Flight on Scratch. This episode was produced and edited by Elizabeth Herbert Wasson, Kyle Oliver, Joanna Litterat, and me, Caroline DeVoe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>